right. Uh, welcome back to Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies. I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. We're back up here at Shatterhand Sound, and it's an exciting day in the Stones fan universe. Yeah, we just uh, finished Croke Park. Croke Park. Which is the tour opener for 2018 of the never-ending No Filter tour. No Filter, 14 on Fire, Down zip Under. Code, zip code. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'm, I'm counting. I'm go- yes. I'm glad that they've kept one consistent name for it. Yeah. That's it, probably <laughs> the only thing I am because I'm tired of calling it. Yeah, Gregory's Revenge. To me, uh, these set lists remind me of Voodoo Lounge. Mm. Um, overall, the structure is a bit more bit less weird, shall I say, than Voodoo Lounge. And uh, we've got a change-up in Keith's set, which is great. He's singing, apropos of the Voodoo Lounge, he's singing the worst from that record, which is an awesome ballad. Yeah, it's uh, and, and not only that, um, the Sympathy for the Devil into Tumbling Dice opening reminds me of Not Fade Away into Tumbling Dice, because they both start with a sure, sequenced yeah. sort of percussion thing. And then uh, right into Tumbling Dice. The reviews for this show have been really outstanding. I think they put in a little bit of extra work in the rehearsal period. I think they were in the stadium for several days rehearsing before the opener. And it really shows like the all the reaction so far from publications like Rolling Stone and other music periodicals has been great, as well as all the social media buzz. So kudos to the Stones for pulling that off. I think it bodes well for the rest of the tour. Um, they were not quite in top form at the start of the last No Filter leg. Uh, it took them a couple shows to really get into the the feel of it, but it seems like they are right out of the gate in top form, which is great to see. I think they're doing Dancing with Mr. D. Still. They haven't yet, but it's it's on the list. I think I saw a rehearsal list. Yeah, they did it that in rehearsal. It. That's yeah. what it was. They've also apparently rehearsed Doom and Gloom again, so that might come back. They did Neighbors for the first time since 2003, which is great to see. I, I, I like that track. And they're doing a more slow, kind of slinky tempo for it, which is working really well. Everything seems slow from yeah. what I've seen, which is, is fine. I, I know a lot of people who want everything to be back in the murky 70s mm-hmm. tempos. Um, or those early 80s, like, I'm going to snort a line and then play this guitar solo really fast. Which you'd think, yeah, you'd, like that That obviously was a bit much. Um, a, lot of, a lot of issues there in the early 80s. But no, I mean, the, the temp, slower tempo helps with legibility. Um, I'm sure that they'll come up a bit um, just naturally because of um, excitement and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's, it's good to see a more controlled approach. So that's good. Well, uh, again, we're very jealous of everybody who's going to see this tour. Uh, we're too poor to afford the trip over, but... I've always wanted to see the Stones somewhere other than North America. Maybe it'll happen one day. Uh, in other news, though, our much-anticipated and... Uh, it's basically we asked for it and they delivered the next from the vault release from the Rolling Stones archives will be the No Security Tour from 1999 in San Jose. Yes, and um, those of you who know me know that this was the first tour that I saw them. I'd obviously prefer if it was my show. Mm-hmm, the um, Toronto show in 99, yeah. And the B-Stage set is better. I would prefer uh, just my imagination to get off of my cloud uh, any day, mm-hmm. but that's a minor quibble. I'm happy to trade uh, Moonlight Mile for um, I Got the Blues. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it, coming right to the hot takes, Moonlight Mile, it's overrated. 
Um, well, you haven't seen the Cowboy Junkies before Moonlight Mile, which is my favorite cover of any Rolling Stones of anything song. ever. That's the best that song will ever sound. But I, I'm I'm excited about this for a couple of reasons. Um, I've heard a little bit of confusion from fans who are like, "Is this the No Security album? Why is it?" something different what's going on do we really need this the answer is yes, yes you do we really need this um this is believe it or not uh the no security tour in 1999 was named for the no security album but that was a compilation of recordings from, from the, the bridges to babylon tour the yeah. european leg yeah. of the bridges to babylon tour now did bridges to babylon start in north america it did yeah, yeah. so you have the uh the pay-per-view show from uh st louis Same which way. is the uh, the DVD from that tour is... Uh, it was a VHS. VHS originally, yes, yeah, subsequently released. That was the first yeah. thing I ever ordered off the internet. Right. Uh, Eagle Vision, which is still handling the Stones releases today, was, I think, the first distributor for that. So they've been with the Stones now for like 20 years, which is great. Um, and uh, that was from the end of the American leg of the 97 tour. Then they went to Europe in 98 recorded a few more shows there. There's a compilation on the album that came out. And then they did another leg in 1999, which because it was essentially the same show again in the UK, they continued to call it the Bridges to Babylon tour, but they thought, well, we're going to do some more dates in North America. Well, what happened though was, is that because th this is the first time this has happened and Mick has, has learned from this and changed the way the tours are structured ever since. Mm -hmm. The No Security Tour happened because of the English tax year. Right. Because as long as for, I, I'm not an expert in English tax code, I'm sorry to let well, everyone down there. If you're looking for a good way in, you should read Prince Rupert Lowenstein's book, uh, A Prince Among Stones. It makes because... it, I have it here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> it makes it fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the issue was, is that if they, if they continued the Bridges to Babylon tour, and play the dates that were scheduled, they would have been hit in millions of dollars of sure. excess tax. So what they decided to do was uh, postpone that, go for more rehearsals, I assume. I think I've heard I've heard some of the rehearsal takes. I just don't know when they were done. Uh, and then rebrand the entire thing as no security. Right. With the caution tape motif on all the tour. Very, branding. very different look. Yeah. The um, stage design for all those indoor American shows is very different than the outdoor shows were the previous years. And I believe it was mostly arenas when they came to, to North America. Yeah. What we have uh, in the San Jose shows is the end of that North American leg. There's two nights. Presumably, most of the show that we're going to get is the first night. Christian being the super fan that he is committed to... Uh, getting the import Japanese edition of this release, which comes with two audio bonus tracks from the second and night. This is just a testament to how much I don't want to buy a DVD <laughs> uh, because I wanted the Blu-ray and CD sure. version, uh, not the DVD and CD, and then have to buy the Blu-ray and then and then Tim has to buy the vinyl separately. This which way. I'm going to do anyway. But. Yeah, of course. I mean, how are you not? <laughs> it's it's colored vinyl. Ooh. How are you not going to buy that? Um, <laughs> no, we need this because this tour has never been documented uh, in any way. And yes, of course, I'd love an expanded uh, No Security album, but that right. might just get confusing at this point because it's really what they what they should do rather than do an expanded No Security album is do a From the Vault St. Louis 97. I yeah. think that that's the best the better With, thing to yeah, do. Yeah, remastered DVD. That would be great. And remixed uh, audio by Clear Mountain. That would bring everything into line, I would imagine. And so what you're seeing, there is, there's a lot of similarity between the way the late Bridges to Babylon set list because they switch satisfaction 
for Jumping Jack Flash as the opener. And I think they moved Satisfaction down the list, but they made, in, for No Security, the big thing at that well, point. On No Security, they didn't play they Satisfaction never did at all. On the yeah. entire tour. They, didn't, they did not play Satisfaction for the entire tour because I think they've always had a funny relationship with that song, obviously. Because what happens if you've been to a Stone show, from my experience, every time they start playing Satisfaction, if it's towards the end of the set, people immediately just, just leave. Because right. they, 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 they think the show's over. Um, which is kind of strange because I would imagine that for most casual fans, that's that's what you've paid for. Um, so in this case, they had gotten kind of tired of it and they really opened up the rarities. This is where this trend kind of started and it's never really left. Yeah. So I'm just referring here to quickly to Felix Apley's guide. Um the ultimate guide, which, uh, if you haven't read Apley's work, he's basically got a doctorate in the Rolling Stones. So this is the guy we go to for, to fact check basically everything we spout off the top of our heads here. Um, and he's compiled all of the set lists to the no security shows. Um, basically as Christian mentioned, Jumpin' Jack Flash was always the opening and then they would go straight into Live With Me as the second song. Yeah. Except later in the tour, it became bitch. Right. So that was the alternate there. Uh, then third song was either respectable or all down the line. Then the fourth song would either be you got me rocking or give me shelter. So interesting. That was an alternate choice and wasn't played every show yet. Then the fifth show would either be honky tonk women. And in some cases they would play at that point undercover of the night. Yes. Undercover of the night did show up on this tour. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's notable, uh, here to discuss the fact that the period from 89 to 99 is the busiest touring and record. It's, it's the most they've actually worked. You might look at that and say, but well, they only put out three albums. But that's not really reflective because each of those tours were enormous. The yeah. Steel Wheels Urban Jungle Tour is two years. Mm -hmm. uh, the Voodoo Lounge is... Then, then you have the solo work that Mick and Keith did yeah. now... Basically, there's another Winos album there as well as and Keith. a Winos tour. Yeah, so yeah. Keith didn't really stop working throughout that ten years, mm -hmm. and I think that this is really the best form he's ever been in. Yeah, by the end of the No Security uh, tour, he is white hot, and like I've heard people say that Ronnie was like undermixed or underutilized in that tour, but that's only because Keith was so dominant at that point. And it's because a lot of people don't know how to mix the stones, yeah. especially live. Yeah. We'll wait and see how this is treated. And I'm looking forward to it because we really like how Bob Clear Mountain gets that like two solitudes, the guitars on either side of the stereo image that you can really hone in on what the both guitarists are doing. And I'm saying this as somebody who was there, yeah. like Woody's solo in Start Me Up on this tour, mm -hmm. he's never played it the same way before or since. And it's like, it melted my brain. Yeah. I was 14, of course. Yeah. I didn't know anything, from, uh, but uh, but yeah, no, he, he tore it up. So then like, here's a bunch of other cuts from this tour that uh, are, were rotated. Uh, they played Memory Motel quite a lot. They played Moonlight Mile, as we mentioned, Ruby Tuesday, Fool to Cry, and I Got the Blues. Then you had an acoustic number, so they would either do Sweet Virginia, Shine a Light, Dead Flowers, or Saint of Me, which is going to be on this new release. Then uh, every night they were playing Some Girls and Paint It Black, back to back. Uh, and then Keith's set would either be uh, You Got the Silver and Before They Make Me Run, or the two tracks from Babylon, You Don't Have to Mean It, and Thief in the Night. So unfortunately... 
the former selections were the ones chosen for this release. So we're not going to get those two Babylon features, unfortunately. So I just want to stress that at the time, hearing You Got the Silver was uh, an immense rarity. Yeah. And like people were, I remember older fans who had been with the, following the band a lot more thinking, like it was my first show. I didn't know. I didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about the band. But so... I mean, I'm lucky that I, I feel lucky that I didn't hear happy because like I, I could go the rest of my life without ever hearing it again. Honestly, it's not that I don't like it. It's just, it's like, come on. It's like, too often overplayed. Yeah. However, I do like before they make me run quite a lot. I think that that's gotten, it's really improved as a live number mm-hmm. over the studio version. Particularly but, with the horns adding in, yeah, filling in for the, the extra guitar overdubs they can't do. The, the horns are super cool. Um, and yeah, at the time, it was really interesting to hear You Got the Silver, and I'm glad that he did it. But I'm basically there with with that song as I am with Happy. Uh, like, he, he post-Shine a Light, he's been doing it very consistently. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't care if I ever hear it again. Uh, it's not a bad song. It's just, he. I think he's leaning a bit too hard on uh, that one moment. But I, I certainly now, being the person that I am, I would rather have a documented uh, thief in the night. Yeah. But what's good though, and, and I'll say this in defense of this arrangement of you got the silver is that Keith is playing more lead guitar on this. So it's sort of flipped now where he's not playing guitar at all. And for a minute, you know, he did that on shine a light, but he went back to playing the gut string guitar. Oh, that's right. Yes. Fire thing. Yeah. They do that. I believe he played slide on the no security tour. Right. Which will be interesting to see. I haven't seen a recording of that yet. So I'm interested in that. We may as well just go through the rest of the set. They also play out of control from Babylon and then, uh, route 66 on the B stage. And then there's a, Another B-Stage song, which would either be uh, When the Whip Comes Down or Just My Imagination, like you mentioned, or potentially sometimes they would do I Just Want to Make Love to You get off my cloud. and Get Off My Cloud. Uh, then they would come back from the B-Stage. Midnight Rambler. Yeah, you got Midnight Rambler. But Midnight Rambler happened on the B-Stage, is what I'm trying to stress. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that's, that's the difference here, and like... Midnight Rambler should happen on the B stage. Right. They, they don't do the B stage anymore. And I know Charlie has said that he misses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Midnight Rambler works really, really, really well on the B stage. Because it, it's going back to that era where they were playing smaller stages and, you know, the 69 show, even in the arenas, the size of stage that they had was essentially a B stage. And the size of the band. Right. Because this this takes it right down and there's no... Bernard, I love Bernard, Lisa, mm-hmm. and Blondie. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that this one works perfectly, and it's kind of weird to do it on the main stage when you have the option of doing it sure. here. So uh, then it's back to the A stage for Tumbling Dice? Is yes, that, yes. Yeah, then, of course, all the big singles. So you've got Only Rock and Roll, Start Me Up, Brown Sugar, and then the encore would be Sympathy for the Devil. And the unusual thing, this is a very, un- this is a very unique way of doing Sympathy for the Devil because it's the only time uh, before or since that they've ever included the horns mm-hmm. on the song. Right. I can't really remember what the intended purpose was for this to be filmed. I think they were going to do a television special, but that never came to fruition. So it's just been languishing in the vault and now it's coming out. I also think that they just film and keep everything. 
I, Certainly I, they I have the ability to. It's yeah. so they can, I think part of it is so they can evaluate their own performance. The other thing is economically, it makes a hell of a lot of sense, mm-hmm. um, especially now. It's it's actually weirdly prescient because appetites for media have changed. Um, I think that most people do want a new album and tour from the Stones. I'm mm-hmm. certainly one of them. I know many people who are. But I think that a lot of people are certainly, in addition to that, open to weirder, archival, like one-off things. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say about the way this is shot is from the trailer uh, that we've seen, uh, the cinematography is uh, uh, amazingly dynamic Mm -hmm. for the time. Uh, You know, because the cameras were still big. In those days, you can see this on the British Babylon DVD, they had to have about eight guys on stage dressed in all black so that you hopefully wouldn't see them Mm -hmm. with shoulder-mounted video cameras to get all the shots that they need for uh, the the main screen mm-hmm. to say nothing of when they were doing a, a DVD right. or something like that. So Where they'd probably put in like a jib camera or something else stationary out in the venue that could Yeah, there are around. two big ones on yeah. arms that you can see. But, yeah. And now you could do that all with GoPro. Drones. We'll see drones at one point, sure. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, Brian May on a selfie stick. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very distasteful that he does that. <laughs> Is this, does this go on at Queen shows? Apparently, yeah. He has his moment where he talks to the crowd and he puts them on the big screen with a selfie stick. Um, How the mighty have fallen. Old guys in the internet, don't mix. <laughs> the other major archival release that's coming out this year is the box set of vinyl albums that I alluded to in the intro to the last episode. Um, now, we've subsequently found out a little bit more information about this. Um, the... 1971 to 2016 era of studio albums is just a masterclass in the development of audio recording and particularly pop rock album recording. So you have, you know, 45 years of development through the lens of how the Rolling Stones approach their records. So when you're assembling a set like this, obviously the mastering and how you make all that work together as a cohesive unit is a big consideration. We have in the past expressed mixed feelings about half-speed mastering for vinyl. Um, Now, particularly when the source is a very compressed mix that was intended for a digital format, it can improve the sound of that when you cut to half-speed mastering. But as with anything else, it's garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, and we were just discussing this before we turned on uh, the what have you, that... Mm -hmm. um, so I just got Best of Muddy Waters, and obviously there's uh, any Stones fans would know why I why that's on my radar. But I just got, I have a 1987 pressing, and I just got the 2017 pressing. There's also a 2018 Geffen pressing, which I'm planning on getting. I bought the new one. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I got it because it reproduces the original uh, album art. Better. And that's a big selling point for this new box set of the Stones, too, right? Yeah, I, I so... The 2017 Best of Muddy Waters is considerably quieter, and this leads to a very interesting point, because when I first got it, I got, uh, right? But the thing is, volume is bandwidth when you're mm-hmm. talking about vinyl. Yeah. So uh, they added some bonus tracks to this particular edition. You get, like, Mean Red Spider and a couple of other things that you'd probably have to buy um, a vinyl edition of the chess box, mm. which is very rare. Yeah. Um, or you'd have to go buy the 45s if you want them in this particular format. Sure. And uh, do yourself a favor and go on uh, some garbage streaming service and listen to the best of Muddy Waters and then drop the needle on the vinyl. Uh, yeah. If you don't think the vinyl sounds better, uh, you're out of your mind. That's, it's, it's that simple. Yeah. It sounds 
like he's in your room. And we don't, we don't really get too into the weeds on this discussion because it's like, it's probably the most tiresome thing to yeah. like go over the merits and demerits of the The point formats, is, but. Tim and I were, before earlier this year, mm-hmm. I would say we were some of the most, I don't want to say anti-vinyl, but. I was skeptical. We, 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 especially of this box set. Yeah. We were very skeptical and we have never 180'd harder or faster <laughs> in our entire lives, I don't think. I can explain why. Now, I'll go back a bit and we'll talk about the half-speed pressing of Exile on Main Street that came out uh, from Abbey Road Studios and then was subsequently reissued, I think, by Universal last year. And now they're remastering it again for this new half-speed box set. Now, Miles Showell, who is the Abbey Road engineer who cuts all of their half-speed mastering projects now, has a customized lathe at Abbey Road Studios in London that is only for this purpose. It's specifically optimized to cut high-resolution digital master files, which the Stones have for every one of their albums, and cut it specifically for the format of LP at half-speed. Now, the advantages of half-speed are that you get a clearer, more stable stereo image, and, you know, without getting too technical, the highest highs of the cymbals and the vocals and so forth. So when you have a better sounding high resolution source to cut from, you're going to get better results that way. The problem with that first time they did a half speed master of exile, it was from the dynamically compromised version from the deluxe box set. So it was essentially the same files that they used to master those CDs. Yeah. And so I basically became turned off modern vinyl because of the 2010 XL on Main Street, because I have the 94 Mm -hmm. and I know what it's supposed to sound like. And the 94 sounds brilliant. Which is also, I think, apparently, anyway, mastered from a digital file prepared by Bob Ludwig from the 1994 Virgin CDs. But that wasn't as dynamically compressed as the 2010 was. So it does sound a lot better. It sounds great. If you can find an edition of it, listen to it. I'd love to compare it to an original pressing. I don't have access to one, but the it's about the best you're ever going to hear it. Now, the, I dropped the needle on the 2010. I couldn't even get through rocks off. I just It was just immediately obvious that mm-hmm. this is not the way it's supposed to work. So I purchased the half-speed version of that same uh, remaster, and I was disappointed with it, and I sold it off. And I thought, well, that's too bad. They had an opportunity here. They could have gone back to a pre-remastered source. They could have just got a flat transfer of the master tapes, which the Japanese market got on uh, the high-resolution uh, SACDs that they reissued. Super high material. That's right. SACDs. The super high material SACD format for which they've now issued, I think, all of the albums up to Flashpoint. Um, now, if they had had access to that when they were cutting the half-speed vinyl originally for Exile, I'm sure they would have used it. They didn't. And that came from the band's management. Apparently so, yeah. So now... Uh, somebody online went and got in contact with Miles Showell and asked him, so what's the story here? Are you using the same remasters that we already have uh, for this new box set? And apparently that's not the case. They are going to the flat high resolution transfers. And, uh, you know, this is, I'll just read his entire response here. 
The good news for this box is that there was a very different approach. While I was not granted access to the original master tapes, some of which are getting pretty worn and should be used as little as possible to prevent further damage, I was loaned an archive hard disk by the band's management. On this disk were two separate sets of high resolution flat transfers from the master tapes for each album where the source was analog tape. Two or three of their later albums are digital recordings and these were digitally dubbed at their original sample rate to the hard disk. The two archive transfers were DSD, that's direct stream digital, which is the same format they used for the Super Audio CDs, and also 24-bit 192 kilohertz PCM, which is what you have on a DVD audio or Blu-ray audio uh, high resolution. A few were 24-bit 176 kilohertz. I was told to listen to both and choose whichever one I felt was best to use. In most cases, the DSD transfer won, but not always. Once I had chosen, I was given free range to just do my thing, which was remarkable freedom. I had no instructions from the band's management or from Universal, uh, the record company in this case that's doing the reissue, other than to do it as well as I could. At no point was any digital peak limiting applied to these albums, as this is never good for audiophile releases and is completely useless as a source for vinyl records. Now, I'm going to interject an editorial sidebar here and ask, if that's true, why he, that's exactly what he did for the 2010 cut, but never mind that now. Adding limiting, Miles says, would have been the worst of all worlds. Increased distortion and mush with no level increase. On some songs, I did apply some gentle tube compression. And he says in brackets, I have an analog tube AT101, which is a very faithful recreation of the stereo Fairchild 670 limiter. It sounds wonderful, almost certainly because of the 22 tubes in it. The compression was for artistic effect and feel and not to overhype the music and make it too pumped. I am no fan of extreme compression, but like salt and pepper in cooking, a little bit carefully applied at the right time in the right quantity can really improve things. I was also loaned a set of original pressings for every album, which was an excellent reference point, as I could play these on the calibrated system on the lathe while also listening to the files. My goal was to make these new cuts at least as good as the originals and hopefully better. This is not as easy as it sounds due to the wear on some of the tapes. Essentially, for the original cuts, the tapes were obviously in mint condition, which is a huge advantage for the original pressings, but I have a far cleaner signal path than was available to the original cutting engineers, which helped me. I am happy that I achieved my goal. Management and Universal did not listen to anything until the test pressing stage. When the decision was taken to proceed, thankfully the feedback was good. Had they not liked it, the box would almost certainly not be happening. So there you go, from the horse's mouth. Miles Showell is saying he did the best he could in this case from the best available sources that existed, which are flat transfers at high resolution and from the original tapes where they exist. And yeah, I just picked up the uh, DSD Bigger's Banquet uh, vinyl. I was uh, stunned and amazed uh, to find that it was the clear vinyl pressing oh, yeah. as my followers on Instagram know. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's the best. It's yeah. the best I've ever heard it. Um, so much of the way I perceive those albums is because I first listened to them on vinyl and I've honestly never been happy. Uh, the, the happiest I've ever been with them is the SACDs. Mm -hmm. But even then, the, the the people who made these records 
knew what they were doing and they mixed and mastered for the format that they were intended. And so many of the decisions along the way were done specifically because the end format was supposed to be a vinyl record. Yeah. That's why if you listen to any digital version of Sympathy for the Devil, the bass and especially the guitar solo have too much high end mm. because they, they did that or it, they didn't remove it rather because they knew that when it went to vinyl, the high end would be rolled off. So it's much more pleasant. It doesn't sound like there's a man trying to stab you in the face with an ice pick. Mm. It sounds like a guitar solo. Right. And so like my my guitar teacher, the reason the way I got into all this stuff was my guitar teacher gave me first generation cassette tape transfers from the vinyl, which is still better than digital transfers if you ask me, because analog to analog um, On a good sounding deck, anyway, is gonna yeah, it's uh, yeah, pretty obviously, transparent. Obviously, yeah. you you yeah. got to have the best the best stuff. Them chrome tapes, though. So when I heard a lot of the stuff on CDs, yes, the the ninety four. If you're gonna get it on CD, I I really gotta say the ninety four is the way to go. On a streaming service, look for the ones that don't say remastered. Yeah, if it sounds too quiet, turn it up, and you'll be surprised at the dynamic range that you enjoy. When you go back and compare it with the louder one, it'll sound kind of squashed, and that's not good. And if I just may address uh, mixers, masters, the world over, Andrew Sheps especially, <laughs> if there's going to be normalization applied, is that not an argument to make it quieter? And not louder. Yeah, I think uh, Ian Shepard, who runs the production advice website, just uh, debuted a tool where you can upload your master and it will score how much it's going to get turned down by the normalization routines of the streaming services. So for anybody that doesn't know, if you upload something to YouTube and it's very loud, to avoid it like standing out in contrast and leaping out of the speakers on a playlist, they turn all of the loud audio down to match uh, a standardized level. And this is the same now for Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music. They all have their own way of doing it. But basically, more or less, the, the idea or the goal is to make everything sit around the same level. And if you've slammed the dynamics out of your mix in service of making it louder, that's just going to be counterproductive now. Yeah, and the loudness and, wars are over. <laughs> Sheps won. Yeah, there's no, there's no way you can say Sheps didn't win the loudness wars. <laughs> so hopefully we can get beyond this. And you know, honestly, the reason why people do this is because they're listening on uh, tiny little white earbuds, or they're listening on their laptop. And and you, gentle listener, are probably doing this right now. That's okay, because you know we're not very dynamic people. That's a fine. It's fine when you're listening to us. Uh, I'll let Tim speak for himself, but. Um, <laughs> If you're going to listen to music on your laptop, I feel you have made the decision that this is not going to be the optimal listening environment. And you do not need uh, $15,000 worth of Macintosh hi-fi equipment to make your music sound good. But what you do probably need is some decent speakers. Yeah. And if you're a person who cares about music, uh, one of the things that why I'm an advocate for hi-fi sets and for uh, vinyl has nothing to do, I will never make an appeal to science here. The reason why it's good is because it forces you to sit in a place and give the music your attention. Sure. When you use music as a force field to repel uh, the guy uh, saying he's possessed by Satan on the subway, your obnoxious co-workers, whomever. Yeah, use, use podcast for that. That's not <laughs> listening, right? Yeah. That's not giving the thing. you. The music can take you off this planet 
you know, it can take you to a metaphysical realm. Yes. But it can't do that unless you give it your attention. And that's why having a purpose-built area of your house for listening mm -hmm. is still the best way to do that. And I do not care. You can listen to uh, the worst compressed YouTube stuff. I'm telling you, it will always be better if you sit down on your couch, throw your phone away, don't damage it, turn it off, pay attention to your music, yeah. and you will learn why uh, dynamic range is so important. And all it's asking you to do is turn up your, your amp a little bit more. And that's not, and that's fun. That, yeah. That's great. We love playing music loud. Like that's, that's what we live for. That's what we got into this crazy game for is to, you know, <laughs> piss off the neighbors. And, uh, you know, like, like it says on Let It Bleed, this yeah. is, this is to be played loud. Maximum volume. Uh, so, so we're, we just tur are turning this into the dynamic range podcast. Uh, of which there are plenty already. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, there's, there's tons of that. But what we're saying is that we're, we're very excited for this particular box set, uh, because we think it's been done, uh, right. Yeah. Now, now it's, it's not cheap. If you want to get one of these, it's going to set you back several hundred bucks. And Tim already got a deal on it. So I, I lucked out. There was a, like a price crasher on the US Amazon site. So I'm going to get it imported from US. But if you want to buy it here in Canada, it's going to set you back like 500 Canadian pesos. And I'm furious. It's uh, uh, that's a lot of money. Livid. And also the no security box set is timed like around the same time, which yeah, is- Yeah, so it's going to be an expensive July for Stones fans. And I want to say we're not all boomers with uh, disposable income. Some of us are uh, early millennials, like Gen Xers on the border there, and uh, we have no money. Yeah. Um, and there's many reasons that this is this is not the forum to discuss. Do you know that by the time you're 35, you should have saved up uh, half of your record collection to sell for retirement? <laughs> Is this where you call me a snowflake? <laughs> but no, we're 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 excited. I think I think it's going to be worth it if you parcel it out. Now, here's where here's where uh, we're actually going to give you legitimate consumer advice here. Yeah, a first edition mint Voodoo Lounge and Bridges to Babylon. I wish I used to have both. They're now worth two hundred and fifty dollars or more piece, or yeah. more because nobody bought them. They all bought the CDs, mm -hmm. and I can tell you, these records sound fantastic on vinyl they they sound i do believe in the cd now with with babylon you will lose a bit of michelle indigo cello i think yeah. that's what it is indigo cello yes. indigo cello yes. um I try not to be ignorant here you will lose some of that sub bass however when you hear uh that glorious crystalline sound of that record through uh, a, we have a digital rip of Bridges to Babylon that we we are still struggling to comprehend why it sounds so good. Yeah. So to me, the ones that even, I am even bigger bang sounds pretty more darn dynamic good on, on on vinyl. Yeah. To me, the most exciting thing about this box set is hearing steel wheels without the sort of penny in your mouth mm -hmm. copperish quality because I I've heard it. I have a James Brown record from '86, the one with Living in America sure, on yeah, it, Gravity. Yeah. You really understand that as a production aesthetic when you hear it on the original format. It sounds hyped and crispy when you're listening to it on a, on especially on a streaming service because nobody intended it to be heard flat. Right. There was a roll off that's going to happen, and there's a, a great deal more realism in the mid range when you hear it. Um, and then those analog synths. I mean, uh, another one you got to get on vinyl is Clues mm, by Robert, Robert Palmer. Palmer yeah. When that bass synth comes in on sure. Johnny and Mary. You'll lose your mind. No digital transfer has ever gotten that right. Now, what 
we would also like to see, I think probably maybe this will happen next year as a follow-up, is a reissue of all the live albums that are now out of print on vinyl. So we know there's a high-resolution DSD transfer of uh, Love You Live and Flashpoint and uh, Still Life from the 80s. Uh, all of those could stand to be re-released, but more importantly... Stripped. We're, yeah, we're looking at the original Stripped LP, um, no security was also released as uh, a double album. Um, you know, uh, live, live licks. Live if licks. they're going to do live licks, I got to say, since we got San Jose, because it was asked for on this podcast, <laughs> that record sounds amazing. The mix is so good on it. But the thing that kills me is the edits. Right. It's utterly untenable. So if it's a double CD, that means we could probably comfortably spread it out over four discs of vinyl. And then you have a little bit room, more room to spread those out and maybe re restore the original edits to their full length. Which we know you have. <laughs> I know you have it because we've heard them in the DVD. They're, sure. they're, they're, the source is there. And uh, then there's also a Shine a Light Deluxe soundtrack could come out on vinyl as well. That's never been out on, on wax before. That would be great. I, that's probably one of my, if I had to pick one of them, I think I would say that's, I mean, Stripped, Stripped is its own thing. I don't even really see it as a live album, honestly. Mm. It's, it's its own entity because um, there's so much else going on there. Uh, but if I had to do one that was actually supposed to be simulating a concert, I would say it's probably Shine a Light. I, I, I love that. And that you know what? Like, this is the perfect opportunity, I think, for the Stones. Once this box set is the roaring success that I predict it will be, they will follow it up next year. Universal would be crazy. They're sitting on all these records that have been out of print for 20 years or more. We'll buy them all over again, even if we have originals, because that's how crazy we are as fans. And the, the fact is, I am willing to pay for remasters when they take advantage of a new medium. And here's a funny thing to think about for the audiophiles. Um, the iTunes store is going to shut down next year. Something like that. And I, I've been saying this... I've been saying this since I first heard about it, I think two, maybe three years ago. And people said, you're crazy, you're out of your mind, uh, that's never going to happen. And the funny thing is, is that eight tracks have lasted longer than digital downloads. And what I'm very kind of weirdly excited for is the fact that vinyl manufacturing and pressing actually stands to be better. Because when, and, and we've already seen uh, this happen because in the early 2000s, in the late 90s, early 2000s, you started to see a lot of the 180 gram uh, reissues because mm -hmm. in the old days they cheaped out and they used very very thin vinyl. One of the potentially recycled vinyl in some cases. So yeah, that's why so many there was a big deal made out of 180 gram virgin vinyl. Uh, if you can get your hands on the Sundays reissues of uh, all the stacks stuff, mm. it's it's probably I don't have never heard an original pressing, but I'd say it's probably comparable, if not maybe better. And uh, you get you know less surface noise from better quality vinyl. Yeah, so. I am keen to see what happens there. I'm excited to see them take advantage of a new uh, horizon here. And uh, the other thing that the box comes with is uh, high-res digital downloads. Yeah, so if you want just the original flat transfer, presumably that's what you're going to get. I'm not really sure what that high-res is going to be. Is it going to be the slammed less dynamic versions and well hopefully not hopefully it's equivalent to whatever they used for the vinyl yeah and the other the great thing is that these are probably going to show up on streaming services and the one that i'm most excited about would be Tidal because we have master quality sure. audio there so i'd like to see all of this uh, we've seen already the abco stuff 
get redone mm-hmm. at, uh, at uh, high res that that started in the early 2000s and that the SACDs, mm-hmm. which were great. Yeah. And I think uh, with the Rolling St- the Abco's Rolling Stones in mono box set is really kind of the template for this new one in that uh, they went back to the best sources they had, cut it very carefully, took care of the packaging, you know, recreating all the little details on the sleeves and so forth. And it, you know, it didn't sell a huge amount, but to the audiophile uh, segment of the fan base, it did great. And, you know, this is basically continuing on that strong performance. And the reason I didn't buy it is because it has the American editions of the albums, which I just don't want. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of repetition in that box, but I think this one is, is overall better value for money. And and honestly, this is the period that I'm uh, like, I, I'm much more interested in this period. I, I, I know that that might be controversial to people, but mm-hmm. um, as far as albums go, I want this and I want uh, the the DSD Beggar's Banquet, which I have and, and Let It Bleed. And then I'll probably get um, the 45 of Jumping Jack Flash and Child of the Moon. And uh, was London Years ever released on vinyl? It was. Now, the remastered version hasn't been. So since they've gone back to DSD, they haven't done a new vinyl pressing. Maybe that'll be in the pipeline at some point. Uh, but yeah, the Mono Mixes singles collection on vinyl would be the only other thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't I don't care to hear the booze covers. And this is funny because we, we haven't we, we've been talking about the box set, but we haven't talked about this. This will be uh, us owning Blue and Lonesome for the yes, first time. which has not been remastered, apparently. That's the only one Miles did not have a chance to remaster, because I guess they like the vinyl cut it's, it's probably fine. Yeah. I, I would be shocked. I mean, I have been very clear on the fact that I don't care to hear them do booze covers outside of a live context, but um, the, the fidelity of that record is astounding yeah. and it will re- it will lend itself very much to vinyl because it doesn't have a lot in the super low end mm-hmm. and uh it, it it was already done i believe they used a decatry yeah t- to do a lot of it some so, of the uh, miking techniques yeah are very classic style. very old-fashioned yeah. and uh a lot of it's alive off the floor and that doesn't really ha- affect the fidelity if anything it probably negatively affects the fidelity but um but in a good way. <laughs> I'm you know, exactly. Some yeah. things can be better when there's less of them. Yeah. Like Milo Yiannopoulos. <laughs> it would be better if there was less of him. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess uh, that should probably do it for now. That's like all the news fit to print so far in May 2018. And uh, thank you again to everybody who's been checking us out. And please do like our Facebook page or subscribe to this podcast and tell somebody you know who'd enjoy it. I was thinking uh, we could uh, ask if you want uh, which topic you want us to cover next mm-hmm. because we've had some requests. So I would say we're, we're going to discount the like react because a lot of people are going to like it yeah. for no reason. But I would say love react, voodoo lounge, mm-hmm. uh, wow react, satanic majesties, sure. sad react, dirty work. <laughs> angry react for uh one two three four maybe the rotten wood solo album <laughs> are we gonna get in there i don't know we might we'll see how long this goes okay angry react if you want us to deal with ron wood's uh solo material uh though there isn't really a reaction that fits ron wood uh not gonna lie they should make a wood react Peacock uh, hairdo react? I yeah, uh, 40 cigarettes a day bro up had. <laughs> um, okay, well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Great. Well, uh, for Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies, I've been Tim Lindsay. And I continue to be Christian Bonner. Until the next time, we say goodbye. 
For more on Under the Radar, head to facebook.com slash Rolling Stones podcast or send an email to rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com.